welcome back to Lost in Citations. Today's guest is Joseph Fallett, Associate Professor of English at Nihon University. Joseph, how are you? Oh, Jonathan, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I just want to say this is a great chance to, to meet you and, and get to know you and learn a little bit. And I'm just really thrilled to, to that and, and honored that you invited me. Thank you. Likewise, thank you so much for coming on the show. We have a great chapter to dive into today, and I think people are really going to enjoy it. This is Chapter 7, Past L2 Selves, Emotions, and Classroom Group Dynamics, The Don't Ask, Can't Tell Policy, and this is in the book, The Emotional Roller Coaster of Language Teaching. Chapter 7, why did they put you right in the middle? Do you have any any idea why you know- how they ordered these? You know, I don't know, but um, I've I've got another uh, paper coming out with multilingual matters, and I'm on chapter seven again. It's not <laughs> the first or last time. Lucky number seven. Well, this is a fantastic chapter, and it and it goes through lots of different concepts and ideas and different studies. How did you come about writing this? How long did it take you to write it? And how did you go about organizing it? Because I thought you did a really good job of of setting the context for the reader, making it very linear, letting us know what's coming next. I thought it was very easy to follow and very well done because there's lots of concepts that I wasn't aware of. But by the end of the chapter, I was fully knowledgeable about all the concepts you were talking about. And I was really excited to talk to you about it. So how, how did you go about organizing this and, and how, did, how long did it take you to write it? Yeah, yeah. What's the inspiration? How did I organize it? Well, you know, actually, this is um, the past selves has been my passion, and I think it, I started writing it before I knew I was going to actually sit down and put it, you know, onto onto paper. And um, because the uh, past selves has been, it's this is the culmination of, of a lot of my research before, and it's sort of the projection of where I want to take my research, or maybe where other people can take research into past selves. And um, how did I organize? I think I organized it on that principle. I was trying to, in a way, summarize and prove uh, to the reader that past selves is important. So I, I wanted to show some of my my previous studies in demotivation, but give new data, and also take some of the other research that's been done um, in that hasn't been called past selves, but but it is. Uh, the uh, Bonnie Norton's, for example, she has a book, Identity and Language Learning. And I, I took her character, her, her interviewee, Katrina, and showed how there's a way of reinterpreting that in a past self sense. So that was the first main segment, uh, showing what past selves are and, and how we've been looking at this. And then projecting into the future. For example, uh, very interesting research papers that give me an inkling as to how I might go about doing my own research. So this is a roadmap for me. Well, you seem very passionate about past selves. What what made you interested in this and and why did this become your your focus? Okay. Oh, this is so cool. Um, You know, actually... Jonathan, you know, your research and your experience with your students is so similar to you're you're really uh, concerned about your connecting with your students and letting your students know um, that you understand them. And so before I, I, I talk about that, can I ask you? Sure. Um, 
why are you so interested in your students' uh, emotions and how they interact with you? I think because there's so many factors at play. And unfortunately, after reading your chapter, now this is an extra factor to consider. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many different influencing factors. And one of them being their past academic experience. I'm worried that some of these students have been molded in a way that I can't control, which you actually talk about in the chapter. Maybe by that time they get to us at university, they've already been demotivated to the point of no return. It's hard to know. Um, So the, the way that they've been taught previously, I'm interested in, I'm interested in the way that they perceive my ethnicity or my nationality or my identity as a native speaker compared to other um, uh, maybe L2 teachers. I'm interested whether they interact with me differently than their other language teachers or their other subject teachers. Um, I'm interested in in the way that they think they should speak to me rather than the way that they are speaking to me. And there's just, there's just so many. And then, and now that I've dived into silence and language learning anxiety, I'm just learning so much more about perfectionism and the concept of shyness and the layers of silence. And the more I dig in, the more I'm interested in. And, And now with this, the past, the past selves idea, and even some of the examples that you brought up in the chapter, it's going to make me think about this a lot more. And yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to get the answers for it, but it <laughs> definitely can be a research career. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, you just said it all. You said it all. Uh, I, you know, walking into the classroom at Japanese University for the first time, I, I was shocked that of the learner silence. And I thought, and I started realizing that maybe this isn't me. This is something that they're carrying with them, their, 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 their past selves, their emotional baggage into the classroom. And actually, I'd like to talk about kind of, um, a seminal, seminal study that I did where I found it in, in the data. I, maybe I wasn't aware of it at first. But I, I asked my students why they – or had they been demotivated and um, were they – if they had okay, had, two basic questions: Had they been demotivated, and do you enjoy studying English? And as I was just collecting these papers, paper form, paper-based surveys, I started noticing there seemed to be a connection between the students who said that they were demotivated in the past and those who w- presently did not like English. And I thought, well, how can I how can I prove that there's a connection here? And um, I found, I went through a book by uh, J.D. Brown for beginning researchers, uh, something called a a, a chi-squared analysis. And it was a really easy analysis to do. You you make like a, it's it's so simple. It's like a tic-tac-toe box. And you just tally up uh, how many said they're demotivated in the past and how many, you know, like English now. And I could prove that there was a a probability dependence, that there's a likeliness that those who'd felt past demotivated were presently, uh, effectively, uh, disliking English, mm. and that's their past selves. That's their that's their emotional baggage. Mm. That, that's where it got started. I mean, there's there's so many things to go over. I, I think I want to start with the methodology, and then work our way through some of these anecdotes and some of the the stories that you told in this chapter. I guess we should start with the don't ask, can't tell policy. 
And this is this is related to the title of your chapter. And, and you referenced Wilson 2011. You said, uh, recommends research methods involving strategically designed comparisons plus random assignments of participants and control groups. Um, including such methods in research designs helps to rigorously test whether interventions are actually effective and reliably uh, establish how. Because this is kind of a tricky issue when we're we're talking about retrospective studies. One of the reasons that I'm kind of interested in in correlating self-reports with objective measures, uh, in my case, heart rate. Um, So in, in this methodology, can you talk about some of the the warnings that Wilson has some of the things he tells researchers not to do and maybe what are some some key concepts that people should be aware of if they're conducting this kind of research okay this is uh, Timothy D Wilson in front, from the book redirect changing the stories that we live by and the don't ask don't tell policy as as you just described really says that you you, you can't you 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 can ask people why they've made their choices why they think they, they why they think they think this way. You, you can, but you shouldn't ask them that if you really want to do it for research because they, they, they can't tell you. So you have to assume that they really don't know the, the, their emotional baggage that they're carrying. They're, they're not able to give you a reliable report. Now, of course, a lot of SLA is based on diary studies, mm. self-reported data, and, and I do all that. We all, and we need to continue doing that because that's really that's a very important way to connect to, under, to, to your learners' um, cognitions. You, know, you get dirt from the horse's mouth that mm. way. But what Wilson is, is looking at is more of these, especially like um, social interventions, like uh, preventing teenage pregnancy, uh, preventing drug uh, abuse in, in adolescence, um, or uh, helping people to become better parents if they are parents or, or helping people to get off of drugs. These are, you know, these are, they're programs. They're, it's, it's like a classroom. And if you want to test the effectiveness of it, if you ask these young people who are, who are, um, you know, how did you feel about this program? Well, yeah, it helped me stay off of drugs and I learned a good lesson. Well, that's kind of there. It's expected that they would say that, but what you really want to do is have random placements of, of participants. Uh, these these uh, young adolescents will go into this this drug prevention program and uh, that's set A. And then set B, they would go into a different drug prevention program. And then set C, that group would have no intervention. They'd, they'd be the control group. And and then you can still ask your, your um, questions and you can track them later on. And this is how you would assess the eff- effectiveness of a program. And, and that's what we're doing with our classes. You know, we are, we, we're, we're, it's a social program, these, these uh, language learning classrooms that we have, and we want to know what's effective. Well, let's jump to, we might be jumping around a bit, if you don't mind. So just for people that are reading at home, I'm on page 123 now. I wanted to, to, to dive into this study by Wirtz et al., 2003, because this is something that relates to the, the don't ask, what is it, can't ask, don't tell policy? Did I get that reversed? Um, uh, 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 don't ask, can't tell policy. Don't ask. Okay. So <laughs> as far as the methodology, if we're, we're going from that theme, 
This was a study, um, he said, at intervals of about two weeks and a few days before going on their vacations, students answered questions that assessed their level of emotions on a scale of their predictions on their positive effect, negative effect, and overall evaluation of their vacations. And the the findings were a bit surprising. Um, so the findings were that, if, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, the findings were that people would prefer to go on a vacation that they didn't enjoy as much than the vacation that they actually enjoyed more. How did they come to this finding? Because I was reading this and I was, I guess I was a little bit confused by the final result. I I know this is related back to, you know, you know, retrospective feelings and emotions. Can you just go over this for the reader, um, this study? Yeah, this is one of I think you and I touched on this together. I'm I'm um, very excited about trying to maybe someday replicating this, and you're doing something like this too. So um, before I give a more detailed answer about this paper, this relates to your research about um, your your checking students' heart heartbeat and uh, self-reports of, mm-hmm. of, of their anxiety in the classroom. This is, what, what would you call it, somatic uh, nervous system data? Or like a, a just correlating self-reports with a physiological response. And, or, and you're, you're doing this across time, right? Right, you're, right. You're, now, how often are they uh, going to report to you uh, about the – now, of course, you're recording their heartbeat the whole time, but how often – like in one class, they'll do a self-report at the class start, um, directly before their performance. So pre-performance, so you know the seconds right before their pre-performance, and then the seconds after they finish performing. So post-performance, and then possibly at the class end. But we think that might be negligible. That might we're 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 assuming that it's just going to go back to below what it was at class start. But we'll probably take four yeah uh, four readings yeah okay so in a 90 minute class during a 90 minute class and are you going to do this in a couple of weeks or uh, just one aren't you going to this a couple of times if if you can the proof of concept we're just going to do it over three weeks yeah just to test that the application works because we're using fitbits and we had to design an app so we're just going to run it for three weeks just to test it to see how the methodology worked and then I'm going to sort of expand the study into a PhD where I'm going to have a control group that doesn't report. So both groups are going to, uh, are going to wear the Fitbits and we're going, to, we're going to monitor their heart rates. One group's not going to report. The other group is going to report. And I'm going to check to see if the heart, rate, the heart rates uh, differ. My, my hypothesis is they, they, they will differ because the act of self-reporting, I think, actually reduces heart rate. Now, I want to try to prove that. Um, now, my, my psychology um, advisors argue that, you know, a self-report is a kind of intervention in itself. Yes, it, yes. Um, so that's that's kind of the start of my PhD. That's And then I might expand to test, test anxiety and a few other things. But that's my basic, that'll be my starting point. And then I'm going to have to branch out and do some, do some more complicated stuff as well. But that's the overall gist of what I'm doing. So your your hypothesis is they're going to it's going to differ. Their their heartbeats, for example, would be like some people will be really fast, have a really fast heartbeat because they're nervous, but they'll report they're okay, and that'd be like a difference, right? Uh, well, well, the 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 proof of concept, I want to check to see if they correlate. 
So I want to see, do the heart rates actually correlate with what they're self-reporting? And then I might run that again mm. for, I might run that again over the course of 12 weeks and just right. check it again to see first, I want to check if they correlate. Uh, and if there is, if there is a correlation between self-reports and heart rate, but then what I really want to check is does the act of self-reporting actually lower heart rate? Oh, that's so cool. Like a biofeedback. Yeah. So you're, you're yeah. reflecting on it. You're thinking right. about it. You're taking nervousness, which is an, it's sort of an internal feeling. You're making it external. You're making it 3d something. You yeah. can look at it, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how nervous are you now you're thinking about it now it's not inside as much now it's outside. So I would say the second you actually frame it that way in your mind, and there's been studies about that you know, labeling. If, yes. if you if you label an emotion, the the amygdala actually releases hormones that that actually calms you down. Yes. Um, so that's our that's our, our that's already been proven. Um, so I just wanna I wanna check if it if it actually applies to this context. Oh, that's so great. I I have the same hypothesis. I think you're good. And so, okay. So this is across a period of three weeks and you're sampling, uh, they're getting the reports four times each lesson. Mm -hmm. And now what if you ask them, what do you think at the, you'd have, let's say we have uh, two, two sets, uh, those who are more high anxiety, uh, have a higher nervousness and those who have a lower anxiety. And if you ask them, would you repeat the same class again, assuming they don't have to do the class over, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or, or that they have any compulsory classes next year? Would you like to do this class again, or would you do this kind of class again in the following year? And how would you predict the the really nervous students? Uh, would they would they want to repeat the course next year? And then the low nervous students would they want to repeat the course next year? What 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 would you predict? Like repeat the course or repeat the study? Um, actually you could, yes, do the course over again, not the study, but just the same class, you know, the same tasks, the, the tasks are like they're presenting in front of their peers, you know, I think I'd have to do a questionnaire before I could even make a hypothesis of what kind of student, (laughs) what kind of student they were, because that's depending on the student, they might like, if they were really nervous, but they, they, they saw some improvement or they saw value, um, some of the students, that you mentioned in the chapter that uh, one of the students said he had no interest of using English at all after graduating university. I would assume a student like that doesn't want to take the course again just because they want to get the credit and get out. So I think I'd, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to see what kind of student, cause I, I teach um, compulsory English classes. So I assume most of the students don't want to take the course again. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. What about you? What What would be your hypothesis? Okay. Well, I think. Well, I, well, I'd like to say first of all, I like your 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 careful um, that that's the scientist in you. A little bit of not skepticism, but a little bit of you know caution. And um, I would predict if if I didn't know, say I'm I'm going to give you the. the Maybe intuitively, I think most people would say the high nervous students would not want to redo the course. And the students who had a low nervousness, yeah, they'd, they'd redo the course or, or like do it again next year. Mm-hmm. And, but this Wurtz et al. study, they did a similar thing. And in a way, it was in their high nervous students, and I'll, I'll give you the full study in a minute, but if, if it was our study, the high nervous students would 
repeat the course. They would repeat the course. They would do it again the following year. And the low nervous students would say, no, I'm not repeating. It's, it's that kind of counterintuitive um, findings that Wurtz et al. came up with. And so this is what they did. They had real college students. And this is a, if you might have heard of Ed Diener. No, um, he's, 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 oh, he's, he's in this, um, he's, he's probably the professor behind this one. Um, they got college students who were in, in, in the United States who are, you know, they go, spring break is a big deal. Everybody goes off to Daytona or somewhere and, 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 and parties it up for a, a week or so. And so they took, um, they had two randomly assigned, uh, no, no, they weren't randomly assigned. I'm sorry. They, they just, uh, had some students who reported how would they feel about going on this this spring vacation and they they had these ratings of their positive emotions negative emotions and yes there was a summative emotion just just essentially are they looking forward to it and and how much do they think they'll be enjoying it how much hardship will they have and then during the vacation they um had probably i think they used um I forgot what the protocol is called, but it's the, the, the carrying their, their personal devices. And this is 2003. It might not have been smartphones, but they, they had some kind of a, a, a device that they carried. And several times a day at random moments in the day, they were asked the same questions, uh, the same scales, uh, how positive about their positive emotions and their negative emotions that they were ex experiencing in the moment. Those are in the moment emotions. So before they take I like the vacation, that. I like yeah, that. I'm interested yeah. in that in the moment. That's 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 see, <laughs> that's why you're interested in this. Uh, you're doing a very similar study, and so you're getting in the moment. So so the before the vacation is their that's their future. They're, they're looking that's their future selves. They're looking ahead into the future, how much they expect to enjoy the vacation. Mm -hmm. Then, then there's the in the moment measurements in the vacation and the, the vacations lasted, I think it was seven or eight days on average. And then, uh, a week or two after the vacations had finished, they gave them the same scales. How, how fun was your vacation? How, how, uh, how much enjoyment did you have and how much hardship did you have? Mm -hmm. So now you've got essentially three types of measurements. You've got a pre-vacation measurement. That's their future selves talking there, you know, mm -hmm. what they expect. You've got an in-the-moment measurements during the vacations. That's, that's their – essentially, they call it that's their present selves. Mm -hmm. And then after the vacation is over, they're looking back. That's called retrospection when you're looking backwards. And that's their past selves reporting about their vacations. Now, here's the final question they had. Would you take the same vacation again? Basically, yes or no. So you got the, you got the group that says yes, and you got the group that says no. And now you can track back from their, from, you know, their, 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 their previous, um, 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 reports of, of affect of, of their, of their emotions, mm -hmm. track back, uh, how they felt. And then they ran this through structure and equation modeling and they tied it. Their, their dependent variable was the yes or the no, would they repeat or not repeat? Mm -hmm. And they tied that back to all the other measurements and what was predicted, what would, you know, you want to predict who's going to take that vacation again 
And it would be those who actually had lower ratings. They had less positivity, more negativity during the moment. And they said, yeah, I'll take the vacation again. And those who actually were in the moment having high positivity, yeah, I'm having a blast and, 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 and uh, low negative ratings, oh, no, nothing's too, too bad. Those are the ones who said, I wouldn't repeat this vacation again. That's counterintuitive. Were they, were they comparing? Was the question, would you take the same vacation again or would you take a different vacation? Did they have a choice or was it just yes or no? Um, I, I think it was just a simple yes or no. I think. I'd have to check back on that. But so, I, I, so you're th- talking – There, there might have okay, been – I'm sorry. There might have been a scale like how much yes and how much no. So I'm right. not sure. So you're – this ties into the concept – on page 122 where you're talking about the experiencing self versus the remembering self. And in the chapter, you talk about how humans are remembering self has more power over our emotions and our decisions than the experiencing self. Yes. So, um, that's Kahneman's quote, but there's a lot of people finding this in different, different, uh, study designs. Um, the, the words that I'll study, and they used, the, again, the structural equation modeling, um, it was the past selves that best predicted whether they would take the vacation again or not. So the past selves is also, you could also call it the remembering self. Well, this is the part of the chapter that sort of heats up for me. It's it's cool. It's a It's a cool read because yeah. you, you sort of, you, you, you introduce us to the concept, you bring us through... I would say this is sort of the apex of the read for me because then it gets kind of – it gets exciting. So you start talking about on page 124, retrospective perceived change um, is actually – has a higher value than predicted change. So for for example, if you look back – you look back over 10 years, you would say, oh, I've changed so much compared to what you predict the change would be in the future – uh, you would predict a very minimal, a minimal, a minimal amount, but actually it doesn't make any sense because every time you age ten years, you would always look back, right, and say, "Oh, I changed so much." Right? Isn't that funny? Why our brains work like that? Yeah. Well, that's just it. You don't. You're not even aware of the decisions you're making. Why you're making the? De- it's you think you know why you're making them, but with these carefully designed studies, apparently we're we're wired in a in a way that we're not always perceiving our own. Um, um, our own mechanisms, our own, our own thought processes are, are a mystery to us. Well, what, what do you, what do you think about that? Is this a genetic thing that, so I've sort of thought that we look back on the past with positive emotions. Uh, I don't know why I, I, I could be wrong. I, my idea is we look back on things more fondly than they actually were. Okay, well, you're maybe one of the lucky people, and 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 I think I do this a lot. I, I don't know if that's a personality trait or not. Um, but when we look upon our, there's things that, and, and it might change depending on the, the domain. So, like, um, uh, you're, I, I recall you're a musician, and we might want to talk about that too. But you're, you're a musician, and maybe if you look back on your musicianship past. You'll you'll look favorably upon that. Uh, may, maybe there's some hardships you've had, but if you, um, 
look back in a different domain uh, for some people who are artists, maybe math or science is, is not, uh, you know, it, everyone's different. And when you look back, you can make a downward revision, an mm. upward revision, or a counterfactual. There's different ways of, of looking at your past self. Now, a downward revision is where you, you play, play your past self down. Well, I was, I was, I was, um, not so, I was not so, so good in that, um, um, class, for example, if I want to pull it back to um, uh, English learning, mm. uh, students might say, "Well, you know, I, I wasn't very good at English back then," and and they they would do that downward revision in order to lift themselves up in the present. So that's distancing yourself. If you had a hardship in the past, you might want to distance it, you know, uh, play it down. But if you want to try to uh, support your 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 identity as a, I'm a good language learner and. And even though you might have had the same hardship, had an F or a failure grade in the past, um, if you want to kind of maintain an identity as a good language learner, you would you would do an upward revision. You'd say, "Well, that F was a I didn't deserve that F. I was really good back then. That was that was the teacher's fault. The teacher didn't know how to make the test. I'm a good language learner." And that's an so you would do that as an upward revision revision when you look back. What what about the counterfactual revision? You 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 said that a student stumbled upon that when they were in a bit of a disagreement with their teacher. Can you talk about that? That's oh, the that's first the, time I've heard that term before. Oh, I'd love to. That's the that's the study by uh, Yasuhiro Yamai, um, and, and it came in the MLA journal. It's called Emotions in SLA, and he was tracking. He was looking at uh, three students. Presumably, they were in Japan, uh, young Japanese women, who disagreed with their they were i think getting like a pedagogy they were learning how to teach english mm -hmm. and their teacher was promoting the, the 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 methods we all usually are 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 supporting now that most people seem to agree in sla agree with you know the interactive hypothesis and and a, a community a communicative classroom student centered classroom well these young women disagreed with that and they wanted to – they were preparing for a presentation and they wanted to, to enact, do a, a play in their presentation uh, that, that was counter to, to what the teacher, what most of the, of the other students in the class believed. They believed that it was important to have some grammar – based learning and, and grammar vocabulary study and, and from maybe a teacher-centered approach. So they, in their reenactment or in their play, let's say, uh, whatever, I don't know if they played it out or if it was a um, just a, a paper that they, they read, they took one of the students, one of the three, had experienced some... Um, time in a foreign country, I think it was in America or Canada, mm -hmm. and she had, um, what would that be called, immersion or something. She, she had experienced a, a different culture, and, and, but they wanted to say that her great English skills didn't come about from just simply traveling to America and learning. They wanted to say that she, because she did her diligent study and she had a, a grammar translation method, that um, 
she was able to survive in the foreign country. It's not that she learned over in the foreign country. It's that she she was prepared to be there. And they, they were saying that in, in their little skit or play that if she had not learned the by the grammar translation method, if she didn't study in that studious Japanese way, she would never have been able to she um she she would have gone to the States and she would have learned inappropriate English and it would have fossilized. And but that's not what happened. So what happened was she did well. But what could have happened is she could have had a, 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 a bad learning and she could be a, 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 a bad English speaker. And that's a counter – that's a downward counterfactual. They're looking back into her past. Mm. And this is wild. This is really complicated. Collaboratively, they came up with this. They collaboratively looked back into her past. They used her past self. And – they didn't take an exact past self. Her past self was really, you know, she was a good language learner. She did well. But they said she would have done poorly. And that's a counterfactual. It's a counter to the facts. And a downward counterfactual is where you take a, like it takes a bad turn. Well, if I hadn't done that, if, if no, if you had done that, you would have done poorly. So if if she hadn't had the grammar translation method, she would have done poorly. All right, let's let's jump let's jump to page page one fifteen for people that are reading at home. Um, this is when you start talking about past selves in the classroom, and you mentioned a study that you did in 2013, 2013 where you took a uh, two hundred sixty five students and you surveyed them on their personal language history and their motivation and the effects of teachers, friends, and family. I thought this was a really fascinating study. And it's something that actually struck me. Um, it was kind of a strange feeling because when I was reading when I was reading your synopsis of that study, I immediately thought of my own, I had this really bad experience my first year teaching at the university. I was teaching second year low-level students um, and were totally demotivated. And it was probably one of the hardest classes I've ever taught in my life. And then I've asked to not teach that kind of class again. And when I see students who I, in my past self, like I'm thinking about my past self, I was like, I almost have a bias now where I look at a particular student and I associate them with that experience. And I think, oh, this is one of those kind of students. So I need to be careful. I need to act like this. And I, I know this is kind of, you know, this is the point to, these are kind of conflating. I mean, yeah, this is all kind of wrapped up in two different questions, but it was an interesting study and I need to be careful about my own bias and my own past self experience when dealing with students for sure. Well, this is the whole point. Um, all this research is I'm interested in how this, how, how past selves of all the different students and the teacher, how this comes into the present classroom and how the interactions, the social interactions uh, play out according to people's past selves you know uh, you are aware that you might be bringing filters as a teacher into the classroom and you don't want to have that filter you want to make that connection to the student and understand them from from their point of view that's that's so admirable um i, I guess maybe to answer your um i don't know if your question do you want me to give an, an example of some of this research well i guess i guess if you can talk a little bit about 
it's just it's a, it, it was tough for me to read because not not that it was poorly written, but it was it was tough because it it adds this again it adds an extra layer that teachers need to think about about how some students had a bad experience possibly in junior high school or high school or they had a good experience in junior high school or high school. Okay. And there's yeah. all these factors that come to play and right. maybe there are students that were affected by a teacher or 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 a friend or a classmate or a family member. Okay. And I guess my question is how can how can we deal with our own past selves as a teacher, right? Um, right. And then when we know there's all these factors that are happening, like you said, most of the students in your study, their motivation uh, hit a bottom at, in secondary. So that's in high school, right? Right. Um, so their motivation had, had almost all the way across the board had bottomed out in the in the secondary. And then there was different there was different um, layers for some students said they indicated they did not want to study uh much at all. Some students said, I don't even want to speak English after university. So there was a bit of a spectrum there, but you agreed that all of their motivations bottomed out. Um, some rebounded uh, different events. It's just hard. Like for me, how do I, for those students that have bottomed out and, and have chosen, I don't want to, I don't want to speak English at all. Um, and they've already made up their mind. What, what can we, how can we approach that like you, you, you kind of infer it in the chapter that some some students have already made that decision, and they're almost beyond saving in some ways. How how can we deal with that? Oh, okay. Oh, that's great. Uh, let me start uh, by giving you a little bit of, a, of of an example stories from that research, and then I'll tie it into how we can deal with this. Um, uh, uh, I compared uh, Minami and Shota. Uh, Minami has a positive past self. She looks back at her past and she's it's all positive, but she she did not have a smooth ride. Mm-hmm. Now, she started uh, in junior high school, Minami started in junior high school with movies and music, and she made that emotional connection to 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 learning English. And then she got demotivated in high school. It became textbooks only. And uh, so she she lost all that interest and, and all that momentum that she'd started in junior high school. So by the time she got to university, she felt ashamed that her English was not good. She's comparing herself to her friends. Hmm. But then she she must have done some little bit of work. And at, the, at university, the teacher gave her a compliment. And from from that point on, she was able to reengage her motivation. She studied. She got good her her friends were giving her compliments and now she she says when we asked her how do you remotivate she says it's it's unintentional it's when her friends give her compliments she gets all motivated again she she studies more now that's me and me the positive past self that's when she looks back shota looks back with negativity I'm not sure if Shota ever started off with a positive uh, experience with English, but what happened was when he was in junior high school, his teacher started to started to pick on him, to bully him, and, and um, apparently Shota Shota had some sort of a um, um, a sickness of some kind, and the teacher picked on him for that. And now this is back in junior high school, and he never got remotivated. And when we asked him. How do you get remotivated? He says no one can can motivate oneself. Yeah, but oneself. No one can motivate oneself but oneself. And then he said he's never been able to do so. Mm. So he he carries that shame. And okay, so now this is part of the 
demotivation study is is what not just what demotivates students, but how they get demotivated. It's, it's often self-blame. And so they carry that emotional baggage to, to your classroom now. They've got this shame. Now what happens is when you've got shame for something, you're not able to interact with other people because you're so self-focused. You're focused on your bad experiences in the past. You've got this all this ego baggage, right? Now the teacher, the communicative teacher, Jonathan, maybe you, maybe maybe me. Yeah, we're okay, everyone. Let's get together. We're going to get pairs and we're going to just talk about our favorite thing. It'll be, we'll talk about ice cream or something fun. And all you have to do is say, what's your favorite flavor ice cream? That's all you have to do. Now Shota, he's got all this shame. He's not ready to interact with his conversation partner in the classroom. He he's focused on himself, but me and me, she's she's excited. She's all set. She's ready to interact. So now, now given this, because I teach science students, who've um, science and engineering students, who've often had poor experiences with English. You know, that maybe sounds normal. I don't know. It's not always. I have some very high motivated students, but I I have I've got a mixed classroom. I've got students with negative emotional baggage. I've got students with positive emotional baggage. Now, how do I get the group dynamics going uh, when some of those students are not ready to connect with the other students? And that's that. That's the that's the pre you know, that's their predisposition uh, as a person, and and that's the presumption of the teacher. Okay, we're going to just have a simple conversation exchange, and and all this past stuff crashes. And your group dynamics goes can, down. Can I jump in there? Um, Please. I, I would I would say, thinking about this now, thinking about this experience with this particular class a few years ago, there was an aversion to me almost from the onset. Right. And, and I would say, looking at your chapter and thinking about it now, I would say some of these students were associating me with a past experience and maybe a bad experience with a teacher. And they were projecting their feelings towards that teacher to me. I can really sort of feel that was the case. Like, I don't like English. I didn't like this teacher. You're an English teacher. I don't like you. Right. I, I'm going to, I'm going to disp emotionally display. I mean, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just shyness and silence. It was like a strong aversion, a strong dislike of English. And I, I think they were, again, you have to take two years of, of, of English at the school I'm at. And they were in their second year and they just wanted the credit and get out of there. And But it wasn't a positive experience for – I mean, it was a big class too. So maybe there were some students that were okay, but I would say the negative feeling was overriding during that. It was it was tough. That was a really tough class to teach. <laughs> I mean, like I remember I would I would, uh, I, I would take attendance and then I would check homework at right. the beginning of every class. And I would call someone's name and then I would I – would, have them bring me their homework and and they they would one student like crossed his arms and just stared at me and like shook his head no like no yeah. <laughs> like every time i was like whoa man all right okay i i know you don't like english but let's try to work let's work together here bud and uh let's get through uh, jonathan, this together oh <laughs> uh, jonathan we've all been there we've all been uh, all i think anyone teaching at university teaching english here in Japan, at least. How about, have you ever had the opposite experience? Have you ever had the class that just, it's like, it's like, I know you've oh, got again, the, the musical background. It's like, it's like a symphony. They're, they're uh, an orchestra playing together. 
and it's almost out of your hands and oh, you don't even know how or can, why. Oh, can I just jump back real quick thinking about oh, this yeah, now? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. at my class, at my university, if, if you, if you do, if you fail to get the credit, you take, you can retake it in a class called Cyrushu, where it's a class where you, you, it's a different sort of format. Um, but you have to re you, you have to get the credit, right? So oh. you, you can re and you can take Cyrus, you can fail Cyrus and retake it again. This particular student who I'm thinking about now. So most students that, that fail and take Cyrus, they will not take Cyrus with the same class teacher that failed them. Oh. Okay. But this particular student has retaken my Cyrus class. This is the third time. Oh gosh. And has oh. failed, has failed oh, every yes. single time. Has failed yes. every time. Now, yes. each time he's gotten nicer um, right. to me, um, but I just don't. I don't really know what's going on there. It's it almost goes back to the word study. He's retaking my class, even though the first time he and I both had a really bad experience. <laughs> but he keeps coming back. But he, he keeps failing. But I, I don't know what's going on there. Oh gosh, you're not the first. I've heard this from different. I've had this experience. I've heard other teachers say the same thing, and we're all bemused. And maybe it's just you're the lesser evil. You know, like in fact, that's let's put it in a more huh. positive light. He knows that student trusts yeah. you. That huh. student's the the fragility or whatever the shame, whatever that that student is bringing in. It's like you're the one that 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 student is is giving you himself it's a him right herself himself mm. that it's it's so precious in a way that you don't necessarily feel that that you're having a positive interaction with this student why is he coming back but there must be something there that he trusts with you that's precious i mean he was a lot nicer the second time and he's 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 continued to be nice yeah um but he doesn't do his work no, uh, so I, I don't, I don't know if he's expecting me to finally just cave after the fourth or fifth time. I'm not going to. He no. has to, he has to do the correct amount of work to get credit. That's right. But at least as far as a, a human to human basis, he's not, he doesn't, he's not projecting anger and dislike at me all the time, which is nice. Okay. Of course, so this this, is, this semester was online, so I mean, it's a little th different. Yeah, that is. This is something that you can try now. So, so remember, we've got all these students with all emotional, but good. Some of it's good baggage, some of it's bad baggage. Now, how can you get the classroom group dynamics going? And this is something called ideal classmates priming. Uh, ideal classmates. Have you have you heard of this? No term. Okay. Well, first, I have to. This is a big, big thanks, and and um, for this actually. I should start off with thanking my research teams for even being able to do this chapter. Um, Yoshifumi Fukada, Tetsuya Fukuda, uh, um, Tim Murphy, we've all done this research together. And um, th this is something that we've been working on called ideal classmates priming. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, priming is means like you kind of get people in, in the mode, in the mood to do something. And how do you get people how do you get your students in the mood to interact? Um, this is very straightforward. Just ask all the students, how could they learn together, learn English together more enjoyably, more effectively and more enjoyably and have them anonymously give you the responses back. Of course, you have to tell them if it's, especially if it's for research that this won't affect your grade and, and, um, um, your, your, your name will be kept anonymous and all that. And those hmm. who do choose to, and they usually almost all are ready to participate. What kind of things do they say? No, oh, they say stuff like, well, uh, don't blame me for my mistakes. 
you know, stuff that, that they got demotivated for in the past, or please smile when you talk to me, you know, make mm -hmm. me feel like, like you want to talk to me or, or teach me, you know, if, if I don't know the word, you know, teach me the word so I can use it to you. And students don't know that the other students, that, that others in the classroom want to speak English. It's almost the big secret. They, mm. they really do want to speak English, but no one's, it's not cool to speak English. Other, other experiences in the past or even in present um, students in the classroom make them feel like, oh, it's not cool. I don't want to speak. I don't want to be the first to speak. But you English. know what's interesting about that? Yeah. Even, even this scale that you're passing out, um, this questionnaire, the, the, I have a hypothesis about this as well, because what you're doing is you're actually, you're reaching out to the students in a silent way. And you're yes. letting them know you care about their enjoyment, much right. like my uh, initial study with nervousness. I, I I passed out this you know initial survey on a scale of one to ten. How nervous are you? Right. And I and I saw that I thought that they appreciated that I respected the fact that they were nervous. So the as right. far as you reaching out in a written format, anonymous format, it probably does a lot of uh, good work. Just just making that step right, like you're you're acknowledging that you care about their enjoyment. That's exactly right. Um, and, and they're acknowledging it to each other. When you, you, you compile all their answers and you loop it back to them, you give it back to them on a, maybe a piece of paper uh, on one sheet and they can answer in English or Japanese. We try to encourage English, but, and they see what the other people are thinking and they see their own answer in there. They feel validated, not just with the teacher, but among the whole class group. So you pass it. So you compile all the answers on like a document, and you pass it out to the students. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. And and then and that's that's the priming. That's getting people in the mood. And you can do follow up things. I I ask them to draw pictures of the ideal classmates, and I turn it into um, like focus on form activity, uh, where they they go from uh, pair to uh, rotating pairs, or you can do it in groups too. Um, asking each I'm gonna, other. I'm going to totally steal this for my next job interview. Oh, I'll cite I'll cite you for it, but if someone asks me what's my approach to classroom, I'm totally going to use this. This is if great. You're, if you're going to steal it, don't cite it. I'll give it to. I'll, okay. I'll, seriously, I'll give you information about this. Right. After the, yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. That's that's incredible. I, yeah. I I really I really like that idea. It's it's funny. I remember some classes where I just now now that you've taught me that, I'm going to use that in future. But I remember this one. The only trick that I found that really worked for a class that just refused to speak is I would pair people up with who had similar uh, birthdays around the same time. Oh. And I found that <laughs> pairs that were around similar birthdays uh, seemed to interact better. Were I, they I don't know if it's like a horoscope sign. Yeah, they were aware <laughs> of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. You see, now that's another activity that we do in the class, you know, making that connection. The first uh, first thing is when you recognize some of your yourself in the other person or something the other person in yourself. And that can be a point of celebration. And and we do something in the classroom where they, I, I, rotating in pairs, they look for similarities. And when they find them, they say together, we both, like, let's just say they, they, they both like chocolate ice cream. They, in, a, in unison, they say, we both like chocolate ice cream. And then <laughs> they start, I, this is amazing. You know, I just did that. And then in one class, suddenly students started high-fiving and high-tenning. <laughs> I'd and love to watch one of your classes. You, you seem uh, – yeah, I think you're kind of motivating me again. Well, I sort of drifted to, oh, I'm a researcher now and I'm a teacher. Yeah, but yeah, I, I this is kind of getting me motivated again to try some stuff. 
Um, th- this is exciting. I, I I would like to sit in on one of your classes in the future. <laughs> well, likewise, you know, actually, you know, you're always. I don't like, think you want to sit on one of my classes. No, no. Well, you no, seriously. I mean, I, I mean this in, in all absolute honesty. I'm I'm really thrilled. I listened to your previous pod uh, to to the podcast of of where you were the interviewee, and I've heard other. Um, podcasts where you discuss your research and I, I, I would be totally honored. Really, it's an open invitation. I, I might not set you up in my, because, you know, we all have good classes and bad, you know, better classes and, and less better classes. <laughs> uh, but you are really always welcome in, in my classroom anytime. I, I've learned, um, I've, uh, I went to Tim Murphy's um, classroom once and uh he's he's uh he's my mentor and co- co- collaborator and research and i learned so much from that experience and i've had other teachers uh part-time teachers who've been struggling i say come on into my class and it's really helpful so where where do you get your how long have you been teaching if you don't mind my asking because i wonder if i'm going to I assume you're a little bit older than me. So I'm wondering if you were always this high energy and motivated or <laughs> did, you, did it kind of go up and down? Um, uh, you know, okay. Um, you know, that's really interesting. I'm, I, uh, I, I started off teaching uh, basically rhetoric and composition. I mean, did you, you, you probably are aware when you, when you take freshman class at university, mm-hmm. uh, you, 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 um, you take this kind of a basic writing class and, and that's where I got my start. And, and I was teaching, um, that I, one of the, I had a grandmother, I had a grandmother and a grandson. No, I'm sorry. A mother and a son in the same class. And I remember the mother said that I was very enthusiastic. Anyway, <laughs> that was, that was over way over 20 years ago. And I decided to have more of a, I wanted to have a different, life perspective. And so I came to Japan without really expecting much other than, you know, just teaching a little bit. You know, I, I taught English in the States and I'm going to teach English here in Japan. And that's, you know, this is what got me. I walked into the classroom and the students were quiet and they didn't want to do it. And that was not my background. Like, well, why are they so quiet? What's going on? And um, that's where all this research started. So Thank you. I think you're you're enthusiastic too, and you. I heard your background is you were a music teacher. Now, to me, that's the same thing. I I want this harmony going in my classes. And do you aim for the? Can I ask you? Do you aim for the same thing in your English classes as you did when you were teaching? Um, was it band or orchestra or whatever? I I, I think it's a little different. Um, it's a totally different frequency to me. Uh, when I was teaching music, I was trying to get the students to get that feeling after you work really hard and then you can play with other musicians that worked as hard as you and you get that Mm. sort of rush and that high, which doesn't happen. So you just have to work really hard and then you sort of have that performance. And then, so as far as the language class, I, I, I like to achieve sort of like a harmony or like a, a certain type of tempo or a frequency, I, I, I aim for that. But it's more of sort of like a periodic thing where the music was always culminating with a performance, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And the performance, is the performance solo or is it interactive? It can be It can be different. I would have students that were preparing for a solo recital 
or or it'd be a sectional for maybe you just work with the trumpet section before a, an orchestra concert or something like that or or a pri- yeah it can, it can groups and, and private it, it would it would depend on whatever their goal was now that's uh, did you ever you know i I, I played drums and I remember the um, uh, rud- rudimentals mm-hmm. uh, were very difficult or, or scales. You know, diff- I've tried different instruments and the, uh, it's so difficult to practice alone. And mm. now looking back, kind of a counterfactual, if I had only, <laughs> if I had only, that's my past self. That's a, that's a counterfactual. <laughs> that, that's if, if I had practiced with another person i would have i would have done those paradiddles or uh, a little more seriously or would have done the scales a little more if we'd done it with somebody um and that's kind of actually what i'm trying to do in the classroom is is when when you're doing um uh, um which is like a focus on form just some simple back and forth trying to get students into that rhythm together and 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 recognize okay this is this is a basic and then we're gonna go up from there where you you interpret your own music you interpret your own conversation the way you want to do you ever i mean that's that's interesting but i found something strange or something unexpected in this online realm that we're in i found students were producing much better volume of solo work so of course you know, they're, 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 they're in their own house or their own apartment. So I would have them record dialogues and they can't, there's no one to record the other. They would read both parts. Right. And I found the output was much more confident. I think because they were outside of the classroom scenario. And that's something that I've been researching how there's a bit of pressure, especially in uh, Japan class, people get nervous about how they're you know, perceived by their peers there's society pressure. There's lots of there's lots of dynamics going on uh, outside of you, what we're talking about in this chapter, as far as just the way why people feel anxious in evaluative evaluative scenarios. And there can be an evaluation as far as a test, but there also can be a social evaluation. And there's such a high level of social evaluative pressure in Japan that some of the assignments I found were such of higher quality just because they were alone. So it actually yeah. goes counter to what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like you can be more motivated to practice if you have someone there with you. But I, I feel like in Japan, there's there's also the there's also the pressure there of of it, it takes a while for people to get used to it, right? Of of being comfortable with their classmates and their teacher and their partner oh, yes. and all those yes. all those different things. So that's one thing I've noticed from the COVID era that they're actually speaking with more confidence alone. So maybe maybe they are allowing themselves time to prepare and that's all preparation, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a performance. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Maybe that, that might be a finding in itself. Now there's a study. Now, why can't we get students to hear? I don't know what the research question would be is, but I think that students in my classes, I try to tell them to, to prepare before we do the, the activity and they're not preparing. Maybe they're too nervous when they're around the others or they don't want their, they're avoiding um, the preparation in order to, in order to avoid the, the performance. They're avoiding the preparation. I'm not sure. For the research question for me would be which, which performance or which quality of speaking is better uh, a recording alone or in front of the class. Mm. Um, now what's interesting about that, that does relate to music because of course you could do an audition recording. But if we're going to get into the weeds with my research, Yerkes Dodson 
did this study on mice in the early 1900s where peak performance actually happens closer to an anxiety rating than to a non-anxiety rating. So if we're talking about language, maybe the performance would be better alone because we're not talking about peak performance. We're just talking about production and we're trying to avoid debilitating anxiety. So what I, I, I mean, but that's not realistic, right? We, language is supposed to be used in the world. So I don't know if it'd <laughs> yeah, be a great finding, right? <laughs> oh, people are, people speak better when they're alone in front of their computers. It's like, oh, I don't know if that's the world we want to, you know, so it's, in, it's interesting though. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's always, it's, it's being aware of that your words are going to be received by somebody else. It's, it's that perspective taking that we are, I'm, at least I'm trying to instill in my students that whatever, whatever form, if they're, if they're writing or presenting uh, formally or, or interacting informally, there's always that other person at the other side who's, who's going to be ready to receive their ideas. But are, are, are they, the, the, the producer of the language, really thinking what that person is thinking about them? You know, I, I, I Hmm. All right. Well, uh, we're getting towards an hour, so I think uh, we're going to wrap up here. I just have a, a few more questions. Quickly, I'd like to d- touch on something I found really interesting, the matched guys technique to oh, avoid yeah. uh, bias in research studies. So can you just uh, talk about that? It was it was a recording, right? And then you, you – the sorry, was it a study by Long? Where Yes, Chris, Chris Long. It, it was called um, Japanese Attitudes Towards Chinese and American Foreigners. Mm. Teachers is what they were. Um, oh, and I'll, yeah, let me, uh, now this is, goes back to what you're, you, you were thinking, how are the students looking at you in the classroom? Are they thinking, this, this, what's this American going to teach us? Or, you know? mm-hmm. um, I think Chris Long had that same feeling. And so he used the match guys technique. And uh, guys means it's, it's, a, it's a disguise. Mm. So what he did was he had um, a, 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 a couple different classrooms, say classroom one. And in classroom one, he he played some audio recordings of two uh, two teachers who who were giving self introductions in Japanese, and um, they were. This is an audio recording, so that the the students couldn't see them. So there's a guy's here, there's a disguise. They were actually both of these speakers are are native Japanese speakers, but one speaker claimed to be an an American. Uh, learning Japanese as they 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 teach they they say that they are um, um, how to say it? okay the guys is they're both really Japanese one person claims to be an American the other person claims to be Chinese but they're both really ja- Japanese and they're speaking in Japanese and the the students in one classroom and uh, they are rating the the foreigners on on scales of how how they're perceived to be how attractive they are how diligent they seem to be how serious they are and and let's say that person a is a female voice and person b is a male voice and and person A, oh God, I'm sorry. I I usually do this with visuals. <laughs> I don't have my hands. Dead. No one out there is listening. Okay, so so the the person that they present as Chinese and the person that they present as American gets switched in classroom two. 
So they can't see. These are audio recordings. I love this study. So, I want to do a so study they, like this. They switch them. Yeah. And so this classroom two, they hear the same recordings of male and female voice. And but but now the male who was a Chinese is now a supposedly American. And 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 the female who is supposedly uh, American is now Chinese uh, as as presented to them in the disguise. And again, classroom two students, they they give ratings to these speakers as to how how. I, I don't know they, how professional they look and, and how serious they are. And what happens is is how can they rate someone how they look just by the sound of their voice? That's interesting. They ask them to do that, right? That's right, crazy. That's, so, so this is where the culture. And then when you look at the data, you look at okay, well, you know, the male was presented here as an American, and then here uh, the other classroom is a Chinese, the female is present, right? And you look at the data. And the American comes off like is more, you know, stereotypical. But it's it, this is this is a past self that's like um, a cultural past self. You could call it a cultural bias. Yeah. Um, and the the American was rated more loud and boisterous, and the Chinese uh, person was rated a little more serious, and, and diligent. Thinner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Seriously, people if people are thinking I just made a joke. No, that's that's in the chapter. That you, they 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 indicated that the Chinese person was thinner, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounded like to them. That's how they evaluated this. So so that's a way of getting to you you you've heard of uh, hidden biases and um mm-hmm. and this is a, a technique, the match guys technique is a I way love to, it. to research that. All right, well maybe we can we can end on this. Um you got some great questions at the end of the chapter, but I'm actually going to choose a question from in the chapter. One thing I liked about your writing is you do include a lot of questions for the reader. And I, I love that. It's a way to hook readers. You did a great job with this. So here's 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 maybe the, the final question I have for you. Okay, here it goes. Now, just so everyone, I don't know what you're going to ask. So this is, we'll see. So this is on page 127. Um, I'm not looking. All right. You don't need to look. <laughs> How can teachers and students amend their personal narratives that involve presumptions about themselves or classroom members that inhibit interactions beneficial for everyone's learning and personal development? Oh my gosh. Oh, this, okay. This is perfect. Great, great, great. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, there are so many times and I still do, I know I shouldn't do this, but you know, you just, you get that student, like your student who keeps coming back to you again and again, year after year. And you think this guy doesn't like me. He doesn't like the class. And I see students like this and I just automatically, uh, I project myself or project thoughts into that other student. Uh, he, he doesn't like the class. He's had bad experiences and I don't even take the moment to try to figure out what's going on. And I've, and how can I rewrite it? Well, I can, I can try to make a story in my head about that student or about myself, but the best way is to approach that student. And this has happened a few times. It blew me away. Here's one great example. There's a, he was always sleeping in class and instead of berating him, uh, one day I just came up to him and I said, how you doing? And he says, sleepy. And it just was all just pure, you know, interest in him and, and, and nothing, nothing judgmental. I just, oh, oh why are you sleepy? You know, with, with genuine interest, you know, and he told me how he worked every night at a, at a izakaya Japanese mm-hmm. bar, they call it, or just a small pub. He works every night, all night long. And, or at least the night before class. And he comes to class tired, and I said, "Oh yeah, that's yeah. Well, 
it's a very hard job you got there. And, and he started telling me how he made these omelets, some kind of, I forgot what it was, a Spanish omelet or something. Actually, I liked his description so much, I went home and I made these omelets later <laughs> on. So I really got interested in his story. And general I, interest. I mean, general, gen- genuine interest. Genuine interest, yeah. And, and you know, I, I never, never, ber- didn't berate him, nothing like that. And th- this, his behavior had been going on for, I think it was already a semester. And, and then, and I'm, I'm no exaggeration. The next week, the next time in class, not only was he not sleeping, he was participating. And in a very short time, he became a, a leader in class wow. of, of, he was telling students, okay, what the teacher wants you to do is get in a group and do this. And he was like translating what I'm, t- and he, it was just blew me away. And, and, and I try to retain, that's just one of, of other stories. I, I try to retain these stories. And so when I do encounter students and I, I realize I'm, my filter is like, this student is not interested. And, and I, I try to remember, well, have I even made the second to, 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 to get to know this, you know, given a second to this student to know that person on that person's level. And that's how you can rewrite your own stories. You do it collaboratively with others. Well, that's great. Uh, the chapter is past L2 selves, emotions, and classroom group dynamics that don't ask, can't tell policy. And this is in the book, The Emotional Roller Coaster of Language Teaching. It was, it was, it was a great pleasure to talk with you, Joseph. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, Jonathan, this is fantastic. Thank you very much. Good luck with your research and everything. You as well. I'm going to take you up on the offer to uh, observe one of your classes once the world goes back to normal. I, I mean that offline, I'll give you more information. We'll, we will connect. Thank you. Okay, thank you. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.